All right. Well, it's, it is good to be here. And um, yeah, I was thinking this week as well, just thankful to gather together and uh, not knowing, you know, how many Sundays we have like this. So it's, it's always a good gift to see everybody here um, with smiling faces under the masks. <laughs> hey, last week we started our series um, called We Are Citizens and asking the question, you know, what are we about? We are a new church plant and we are just getting going. And we kind of talked last week about, you know, if you saw someone on the street, what would you actually tell them, you know, about this new church plant? What are the things that we are doing here or why do we even exist as a church? And so we talked last week about um, making disciples, that at the, the core of what we're doing here is we are followers of Jesus. We have not come here to just make a new thing, not come here just to, you know, have some new branding or something, but we're here to actually follow Jesus, and we want to do that together. And so together we follow Jesus, and we want to make disciples and, Lord willing, plant churches. And I got to thinking this week, um, I think plumbers and electricians almost have a step up on the church sometimes, because if, if you want to become a, a plumber or an electrician, you have to like apprentice, right? You have to go and you have to um, go with another plumber and see what the person is doing. You got to ask questions. You got to um, watch them, spend a ton of time with them. We had just recently someone um, come and did some electrical work in our house and he came with an apprentice. And so the guy was there um, doing some electrical stuff, but also just like they were just like chit-chatting on the side and having a little coffee break together. It's apprenticeship, right? It is time together. And that's actually what we're called to as believers as well, is making disciples is apprenticeship. It is following Christ. It's doing it in community with others. And so when we come together and we talk today about living out the gospel, it's built on that foundation. It is a thing that we're doing together and so the gospel, again, we just did it in our, in our reading. It was really well laid out there. But the gospel is this amazing good news of God being a creator God who creates the world and all the beauty. He creates a garden and he creates Adam and Eve as the first people to join him in this garden. But not just to, not just to be there. They're not just like objects for God to watch. God has actually made them to be in relationship with him. So they are there and they are walking and they, it says they, they walk in the evening with God and they are in close relationship with him. And then we, if we know the story and, and most of us do in here, we know that sin comes into the world and it breaks that, right? It fractures that relationship that, that God had with Adam and Eve and God's vision for, you know, Many, many people coming to know and walk with him in perfect harmony is broken. And yet God gives this promise, like one day there's going to be a rescuer. One day there's going to be someone who's going to come and make all this right. And so that's found in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we, we as you know, New Testament believers look back to the cross and all the Old Testament is looking forward to the hope that they have, this promise that would come. And so the gospel is like this good news that, yes, on one hand, we are 
the relationship is restored. We're brought back to God and the rescuer has done the rescuing. And, you know, we will spend eternity with God. Maybe as a, as a kid, you were, you know, the reason you got saved in the beginning was you were like, I just want to avoid hell, right? Sounds really hot and not like a place I want to go to. And that was like your motivator. And that is a part of it. But, but what we want to think about today is that part of the benefits of Christ being our rescuer is that we can actually live with his power now. So the gospel is something that not only like saves us in the future and, and we're, man, we're thankful for that, but it actually saves us today and it saves us now as we live. And so we are looking at living the gospel and on our website, we put this on there. It says that we believe that the gospel works through our lives for the good of our communities, that every hour of every day is an opportunity for gospel living. And we want to serve others by being like Jesus in our work and in our neighborhoods and in the everyday things of life. And so if you have a Bible, let me encourage you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 because we want to think about how do we actually do that? How does the gospel come into our lives so that we actually can experience it and live it out in every area? So there's not just like this hour at Citizens where this is like our Christian hour and then we just go back to like regular life. No, it's actually the gospel is, is in every area of life. And Peter here is going to talk about two specific things. He's going to talk about the fact that our identity matters. And then he's also going to talk about the fact that our life matters. Okay, so in the beginning part, it's going to be our identity matters. And in the last part is that our life matters. So First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9, says this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as a sojourners and as exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So Peter here begins by saying that your identity matters. What you understand yourself to be, who you understand yourself to be, makes a huge difference. And you probably know this already, but your and my, what we think our identity is, is really important. It, it shapes the things that we value. It shapes the, the way we think about ourselves. It probably shapes even the purpose that we have on any given day or the purpose that we have in life. So if, you're, if your identity is totally wrapped up in you being a parent, like that is everything to you. You know, you've got these children and you're just, man, all I get, I'm just going to work to make sure that they are healthy and happy and successful. And your hope, what you're building towards is that they will hopefully leave your home at some point and, you know, get a job and just be happy adults. And so everything you do is tied up in this identity of being a parent. Well, if something goes bad along the way, or if, or if they don't turn out how you had hoped that they would turn out, 
um, suddenly, internally, your identity is, is rattled and it's shaken. And if something terrible happens to them, you either become angry at yourself or you become angry at the, the circumstance or the thing or the person that did something wrong to them, or you can even become angry at God, right? Because your identity is totally wrapped up in this idea of being a parent. Uh, this week I was talking to uh, someone who's on staff at another church, and, and we were talking about our experiences during this pandemic and, and COVID. And this guy said, man, when, you know, when the pandemic started, the, the senior pastor and, and the kids men person, um, it just completely shook their world because the, the preaching in, in front of a group was taken away from that senior pastor and the, the kids ministry that this person was involved in was also taken away from this person. And even, even good things like that, right? Even good things like that can become identity markers. And so when they were taken away, when they were forcefully taken away from them, it shook them to their core. We were designed by God to have our identity actually marked by what God says about us and who God says we are. And Soren Kierkegaard, this uh, philosopher, said this. He said, only if your identity is built on God and his love can you have a self that can venture anything and that can face anything. He's saying, man, when God is the one who gives you the identity and when you understand that, you can actually face anything that comes your way. And so Peter here says to them, he says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. And Peter is pulling this language actually right out of Exodus. This is Exodus 19 language, okay? So Peter is, is writing to um, Jewish people that are in exile in Asia Minor, that's modern-day Turkey, and they are beginning to feel the, the pressure of being a Christian in that context. And so Peter wants to help them understand their identity. Who are you as a people, as followers of God in Asia Minor? And so he pulls this language from Exodus 19 where, where God is speaking to Moses and Moses is to tell the children of Israel that this is their new identity, right? They had come out of Egypt and what were they? They were slaves, right? In Egypt, they were slaves. They were they were forced to do work. They were forced to be brickmakers. They couldn't make their own decisions. They were in slavery, in bondage. And then along the way, as they are released from Egypt, man, there's, there's multiple times where they're like, mm, Egypt was pretty good. Like we had some onions there. We're not just surrounded by dust and rocks. And they kept like looking back. And here God is saying in, in Exodus 19 to them, and Peter is, is echoing it for us today. He's saying, you have a new identity. You may want to go back to slavery, but that is not your calling as a people. And so even for the believers here, they might be saying, man, this following Jesus thing, I don't know, some days I'm liking it, some days I'm not liking it so much. Maybe I can just live like everybody else around me here in Asia Minor. Maybe I can just live like everybody else here in Elmira or in, you know, our township here. Because it just seems easier, doesn't it? It seems easier to go that way. And so Peter is saying, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are God's own possession. 
Like that is the identity that we are called to, to live out of. And so that when we think about ourselves, we aren't drawn to something that is, is lesser and that is actually uh, a form of bondage, right? It's not a form of freedom. Peter's reminding us here that our calling is actually to freedom. And so the result then of that freedom, this, this new identity that we have that, that can't be shaken because it's coming from an eternal source, right? So it can't be like, it can't die on me. Nobody can come and like take it from me. I can't even ruin it. It is coming from God himself. And so Peter says, when we realize this, when we understand this identity truth, then what do we do? He says right in, in verse 9 there, he still says, that's the, the source actually of helping us proclaim the excellencies of God. So the, the good things about God that we realize, you know, primarily we've been thinking over the last weeks here, the gospel, right? The good news that good news is a thing that we can actually tell others about because of our identity change. But I think even more than that, the things that we enjoy in this world even, right? The excellencies of God are definitely the gospel, but they're even more than that. They're the, the food that we enjoy. Remember, remember when we talked in our vision team, we, we were going to center a lot of what we did around food. We've done almost none of that, right? Because of the pandemic. <clears throat> But it was rooted in that idea that food and the enjoyment around the table is actually part of the excellencies of God. It's not something that comes from the brokenness of our world, right? The enjoyment around the table, enjoyment of, of the arts, enjoyment of the cultures of the world, enjoyment of justice, all the things that are good and right and excellent, those things are rooted in God. And they're rooted actually in our new identity and our calling. And so when we think of living out the gospel, we root it in a new identity. We root it in the fact that God is actually, he looks at us and says, this is how I see you. And now from that position of, of confidence and clarity as a people, we don't look back, you know, wanted to go back to some sort of slavery that seems appealing, but we actually continue to look forward in hope and we proclaim the excellencies of God because of his goodness to us. So our identity matters. But in verse 11, it shifts. So in verse 11, is actually from 11 to all the way into um, chapter 3 and even into chapter 4, Peter shifts and, and the discussion then goes to how are we to live not just together as believers, but actually to live among those who don't know Christ, right? So when we go into places where people don't know Christ and, um, you know, we interact with them, what's our life to look like? What's our response to be? So look at verse 11 here again. It says this. <clears throat> it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So here, in my translation, it says sojourners and aliens. Maybe your translation says pilgrims. I kind of like that word too, pilgrims. You know, like we are people on a journey, right? Going on a trip, essentially. And Peter says, on this trip, 
you know, we're not to get entangled in um, the flesh and sin because, man, that's going to distract us from our purpose that is before us. And, and one of the things we realize is that every single one of us is sent. We are all sent people. And, and the language here in the section on identity and on this section here is really pointing us toward this collective the collective idea, right? That it's us, a chosen people, right? He says, we are a chosen people. We do this together. And all of us are involved in this process of being sent. In Mark chapter 13, verses uh, 13 and 14, sorry, in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says this. It says, he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. He, this is talking about him calling the disciples, right? The twelve disciples. And he appointed the twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. So Jesus, when he starts by making disciples, he was himself a sent one, right? God sent him. But now he's got these twelve disciples, and he is going to send them and then when they get followers, they are called then to send those followers. And so there's this process, there's this, this domino effect of being sent out, being ones who are sent out. And uh, as, as churches, there's, there's many different ways. Um, Bert, you can actually throw this slide up. I won't have time to cover it, but this slide, there's many different ways that you can reach out as churches, right? I had this whole thing I was going to take some time to talk about it, but we don't have time, but just shows you four different ways even that churches can reach out and some are that some of them are more like um, leaning into the idea of getting close to culture, you know, kind of getting out there. You've maybe even heard of people that are like doing church in pubs or something, right? They're like really out there. Others are like totally separatists and they're wanting to just do their own thing. Some are like non-conformists or like the Amish kind of people. They're just like, man, we're going to make our own little cluster, stay away from the world. And essentially, depending on our audience, you're going to need like some elements of all of these things. Right? There's going to be times where you need to do more of one than the other. But the, the guiding principle for, for us is that we need to recognize that we are called as sent ones. That God has actually called us collectively and individually to be sent out. But here's something for us to remember. You can go back to the, to the text there, Bert. Here's something for us to remember, which is so key is that our sentness, the key to it is that the people that we're going to is extreme, they are extremely important, right? Sometimes I think we can get so focused on us being sent out to people that we end up being more the larger priority in the process than the actual people that we're going to. So the people that we're going to, and we're seeing this here in the text, the people that we're going to are actually extremely important. We're, we're not like a religious or a new kind of religion that is like indebted now to this supreme being. And so our calling is just to go out and be witnesses because we have to, you know, to make our God happy or to do some sort of penance or this is some sort of rule that we have to follow Peter is actually reminding us here that the people that we're going to are extremely important. And so these verses here talk about 
the feeling that people are actually left with after they've been with believers. What do people actually feel when they've been with a believer, when they've been with, with a Christian? Here it says that one of our callings is in verse 12, there it says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And that word honorable, it's interesting. I looked it up. In different places, it's translated into different English words. Some of them are to be treated fairly, beautiful, uh, good, nice, pleasant. This one, at first, I wasn't sure. It says shapely or most shapely. And I think the idea behind that is that the conversation that you're having with that person actually takes them into account so that you are like a, I kind of imagine it as two pieces of a puzzle that you actually, it fits together, right? You're not trying to ram something in that is not actually for the good of the person or for you. So we've often used the word um, here, the idea of being missional, right? Being on mission because we love the, the word. It kind of represents this idea of we as a, as a church being on mission. And that process then should be done with honor. So we should have a deep respect for people who do not believe. We should have a deep respect for people who don't understand the Christian faith. We should understand, or we should try to learn to understand if we've forgotten what it's like not to believe. We should understand what it's like to have questions and to have deep doubts and to, to see uh, Christians even uh, in the world around us and, and to question Christianity even because of some Christians that we've interacted with. We should, we should understand that. We should recognize that. We should listen more than we talk, which is hard, right? Especially for someone like me. I mean, I'm like, this is what I do, right? I talk a lot. So listening, practicing being a listener more than a talker. Listen, we should not be people who are easily offended. We should not be people who, when, when we talk about God or when we talk about something that is dear to us and and the thing that comes back to us is really hard to hear. We shouldn't be easily offended. Remember, we are, we are living out the gospel out of a new identity. A new identity. So even, so some of the, even though some of the, the questions and comments may be difficult, our foundation is the identity that God has given to us. We should also not be the offender, right? And sometimes that happens. Like we... Happens to me a lot. Sometimes I say things and Liz is like, why did you just say that? What are you, like, what are you doing, man? Like, but we should not be leading, on the leading edge of offending people. The word of God is clear that the words that we use are extremely powerful, right? James talk about, talks about it as like a fire. It's powerful, the words that we use. And so this idea here of Peter and and. Peter's, you know, it's interesting, it's coming from Peter, right? That the, the way that we talk to people, people, we should be honoring them so that, that when we honor them, they actually leave a conversation having felt honored by being in our presence. Extremely powerful, these words that Peter is using. So I often think, too, of this, the experience that we have with the people around us that don't know Christ, because Peter is specifically talking about people who are not believers 
He says that experience, they should feel like you are not completely on like a different planet or in a different place almost, right? So even yesterday, I was able to have a conversation with someone on our street and um, conversation actually went to, to the idea of um, death and just kind of reflecting on life. And, and I was able to share how even in my own story, you know, my father dying really young, that it's often caused me to reflect on death at a young age, probably more than I should be even thinking about that. And, and he was like, man, my mother died when she was 49 and he, and he just turned 50 this year. And so he had been reflecting most of his life on the same thing. And so there we were just as two people, right? Just as two human beings thinking and, and wrestling over the same things. And yet he clearly knows I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. And so how does that then, that wrestling, interact with my faith? And, and these are the opportunities that Peter is, is calling us to think about and to be ready to be involved in. So our identity shapes how we treat people and how we honor them. But we're also called to not only honor people, but in, the, in this here, it talks about being seen by people. Okay, so look at verse 12 again. It talks about being honorable. And then right after that word, it says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Do you like being watched? Probably most of us don't, right? Um, but Peter here is saying, you know what? Part of God's design for you and part of God's design for us as believers is that our lives would actually be seen. That we, we would be close enough to unbelievers that they could see what our life is like. This is, this is beautiful, right? For us to be together as, as believers. But God's designed it that we as Christians would be out with other people so that they can actually see our lives. They can see our deeds. And then when they come against us, which they, we shouldn't be shocked when that happens. You know, the Word of God makes it clear that, um, you know, Christ was rejected and Christ was hated. And so he said, be ready for it. It's coming for you as well. But there will be other times where we're able to be ourselves, be good to people around us because we've been changed by the gospel. I can remember when we were in Guinea, and maybe some of you guys have heard this story before, we were going to present the gospel to the uh, people that we were there with. And so we had spent years learning the language. We had spent years um, just loving on the people and doing medical work and all kinds of things. And so out of, a, um, out of a respect for the leaders there, we went to the mosque on a Friday, small, tiny little village mosque, because all the people were Muslims. And we asked for permission to teach the message. And so we said, hey, we came years ago and we told you from the beginning that we wanted to tell you a message. And that message is the, the message of the word of God and what Jesus has done for you. And so we're coming now in respect to ask your permission. Can we do that now? And so, you know, we were hoping they would say yes, because we had been there for years and uh, that was our intention to do this. But we didn't know. Honestly, we didn't know. And so I remember sitting there with the religious leaders and the chief of the village. And finally, one of them spoke up. I can't even remember. It might have been the chief of the village. And he said, man, you guys have lived with us for years now. You guys have helped our sick when they've come to the clinic. 
you guys have come out to the fields and you've like worked with us and your your kids have played with our kids and and when we needed food or we had a, a struggle we could come to you and you didn't shrink back you didn't hold back you helped us in our moments of need and so they said how can we say no how can we say no and even though they disagreed with the message even though later it would be difficult for them to even let us continue to do the teachings. Our, the good that we did spoke for us, right? The good that we did walked ahead of us and cleared the path in a sense. And so we didn't, we didn't do those deeds necessarily, you know, hoping that it would just, they'll clear the path. So we'll just do them. We'll be nice. We'll give things, you know, that's called manipulation. We just lived out the gospel. We just lived out the the life-changing message that Christ did in our life, we gave that in response to others. And so, where are you going? As a Christian, into the unbelieving world, to places of work, maybe? Or maybe places where you're uh, going to work out? I don't know if anybody's going to gyms yet, or if you do that. Or maybe places where you, where you play, or maybe, uh, maybe the school you go to. I can remember being a teenager and going on some missions trips. And I was just like loving the Bible and wanted to like tell people about it. So I went to a school. It was funny. It was a Catholic school. But I don't know of any Christians that were in that school. But I went to a Catholic high school. And I had a bunch of friends. And I was like, hey, do you guys want to like maybe like read the Bible with me? And they're like, okay, sure, whatever. It's just lunchtime. So we borrowed like a teacher's office. We made ramen noodles like almost every day and kind of did like reader response, not the recommended way to understand the Bible, but it was like I would read like a, a passage and then we would talk about it. And I was the only Christian in there, right? But I didn't know what to do. And, and they were just like, cool, ramen, you know, get to chill. And so where is it that God takes us? What are the places and where are we to live out the gospel. So when you hear a message like this, I'm not sure what goes through your mind. I know what goes through my mind is, is this. Um, God should probably pick someone else. God should probably pick someone who's like way better at this. And maybe what goes through your mind is like, I'm not the one to be doing this. Maybe I should, you know, this whole citizen's church living out the gospel. I don't know. It's Sounds like a lot. Maybe I'll just like stay on the back or maybe after that year one provision, I'm going to hightail it back to Woodside. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe that's what you're thinking. And, and um, I hope in some senses that we're all thinking that way a little bit, that this like feels bigger than anything that we can be a part of. But one of the things that just encourages me is that this was written by Peter, right? This is written by Peter, the guy who was like, you know what, Jesus Everybody else could leave you. I'm in. I'm never going to leave you. And then he denies Christ three times. And then after Jesus' resurrection, you know, Peter has heard about it. And he's like, wow, Jesus actually raised from the dead. He's like, you know what? This whole making disciples thing, I don't know, it's made too much. I'm just going to go back to fishing. And he goes back to fishing. And Jesus comes back to him again. That's the same person who's writing this to us now inspired by the Holy Spirit, saying, this is your calling. You have a new identity as a people. You are a chosen people. You are a priesthood. You are called for a reason. And the life that you live is not just a Monday through Friday life. 
it is an opportunity to be a witness for Christ, to, to display his excellencies through your good deeds and through treating people and respecting people as you interact and um, love them, even if they don't give it back in return, right? Even if the, the love doesn't come back in return, right? Our calling is to love and to show others what Christ has done. And so that the gospel is actually lived out in our everyday life. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for the gospel. And God, thanks for just patiently teaching us what that means. And Lord, as we grow um, every day and and in all the years that you give us, God, I just thank, I thank you that you're gracious and patient with us. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to not only be looking to um, be with unbelievers, but be welcoming people, Lord, who are are wondering about what life is about. Lord, that we would not be surprised or shocked or not know how to interact with people who don't know Christ, but know that we would know, Lord, that you've put us in this place for a specific reason, that you've called us as a people to be your representatives. And God, we just thank you for that. We feel inadequate, but we pray that um, as we give testimony together, that we'd be encouraged and that we would continue to just put our hope and our trust in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.